Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the Week in Review. Now, as you can probably tell, I'm not Nick Hubble. That's not Nigel Farage. Um, so Nick Hubble is away on paternity leave, decided to have another child. Good on him. Look forward to the sleepless nights, um, I'm, I'm sure, again for him. Um, I'm Sam Volkery, uh, editor at South Bank Investment Research, and I'm here with our uh, investment director, John Butler. Uh, so it's you've, you will have seen me and John on the Week in Review occasionally from time to time when Nick and Nigel are unavailable. So you're stuck with us today, a little bit different from your usual Week in Review. Nigel's just come out of the jungle, third place, which is a really good effort. I mean, that's 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 the entire time, I think, 29 days or something in the jungle, so to speak. Um, but we're not going to dive into that too much because I'm not going to lie. I didn't watch all that much of it. John, I'm, I'm not sure about you. Did you, did you manage to catch much of uh, Nigel in the jungle? I didn't watch any of it live. I saw some of the excerpts that were being shared around on social media, including by Nigel himself who uh, took full advantage of this, it seems, to uh, indulge in a, a bit of additional uh, self-promotion above and beyond what he normally does. It was, it was, it was quite, uh, quite, quite the event and, and he did, he did fantastically well. So uh, we, we must congratulate Nigel on, on his success in the jungle. And it looks like it certainly um, brought a whole new audience um, to, to what he, he covers. Anyway, you'll hear more about that, I'm sure, from Nick and Nigel next week, week after, and so forth. But today, uh, John and I want to have a little bit of a chat to you today, actually, John, about... Uh, well, I read the headline on Bloomberg, and I'm, I'm going to read it verbatim because I loved this. It was the first thing I saw this morning, and it says, Wall Street traders go all in on, and this is the bit I love the most, the great monetary pivot of 2024. So basically, it, the Fed is suggesting that rate cuts are coming and and the, the markets went bonkers yesterday afternoon pretty much everything was up are we now at the verge of a great monetary pivot of 2024 is this is this legit or are they kind of just trying to make us feel good about the market still no i think it's right i i, I think the reaction is reasonable i mean Look, markets have been kind of salivating at the mouth for the Fed to give some sort of indication that, yes, absolutely, rates have peaked, and at some point next year, they're coming down. And so they were given every reason to go ahead and, and jump all over this um, yesterday. And this morning, we also see a positive reaction in Europe. We see stock markets higher. We see commodities higher, both uh, industrial commodities and non-industrial, such as gold, for example, which is a lot higher. <laughs> um so you've seen a very substantial reaction, uh, which totally makes sense. And, and the fact is that the Bloomberg headline is, in a way, it's, it's actually pretty good because <laughs> we've gone through this prolonged period of outright contraction in, in the money supply, in, in credit growth. And that's pretty unusual. And, and this, is the, this is the unwinding of a lot of the stimulus that came through during COVID, et cetera. Uh, so that, that's being taken away. Inflation rates have come way down, uh, partly as a result of that, partly due to base effects. It's a bit of both. 
Uh, but the reality is that uh, central banks have, I mean, they're kind of implicitly patting themselves on the back, not for having created that <laughs> wave of inflation in the first place, but for having dealt with it without completely driving their economies into the tank and causing a financial crisis. But I wonder if that back padding is a little bit premature, actually. Uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess that's the, the thing. If, if the, the question I think that always sits in my mind is that we, they've got rates higher and it, the, this, the, the numbers that they release uh, suggest that they have inflation under control. That doesn't feel like it's necessarily reflected in the real world. I mean, you know as good as I do when you go to the supermarket, prices aren't coming down at all. My hesitation was if they start to aggressively cut, and I guess maybe that it's not it's 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 the speed at which they cut and the 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 depth at which they go. Is does this still does this lead to a, just a further inflation problem? Should if rates come down. That would be handy for mortgage holders and 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 not so necessarily great for savers. But does that then make the the cost of living even worse? Does this really crunch people at the wallet rather than in the market? Well, this is kind of what I'm getting at when I say that any celebration on the part of central bankers is probably premature here. The fact is, structurally, we do appear to be in what is best called stagflation. That is, to the extent that growth is positive, it's not strongly positive. Uh, if you look at it in terms of per capita, per worker, in terms of productivity growth, the things that ultimately matter long term for economic health, none of that looks good. None of it. Um, and, and yet, as you say, inflation may have come down, but it's still positive. It's not as if prices are falling. And indeed, one could argue that uh, the, the economy is so leveraged here in the UK, the US, around the world currently, that an outright decline in prices, outright deflation would almost immediately cause a financial crisis and, and would have to be met with some sort of a, you know, unexpected, unprecedented policy response a la 2008 or something. So um, we're, we're not in a good state, okay? And, and, and so it remains to be seen how the markets are going to respond going forward. And this is when, if you drill down into recent market price action, it actually looks less healthy. So for example, okay, markets are up, as I said just a moment ago, but they're being led by the usual suspects. They're being led by big tech. They're being led by a handful of bellwether firms in you know, these areas that have done disproportionately well uh, in, in recent years. But if you look at the bread and butter cyclical sectors, materials, industrials, ex-defense, that's an important adjustment to make, uh, they're not doing well. They haven't been doing well for a while. They're trading at valuations that suggest, if anything, a recession is on the way. Um, so, you know, watch this space uh, because there is, but beneath this, put it this way, those who actually have their fingers on the pulse are concerned about the patient. Yeah. Whereas those who are just looking at the patient from the viewing window outside the room think things are okay. So I'm not sure that's sustainable here. Yeah, it it it, it feels like they're suggesting one thing, but uh, that well, the old you know they're saying one thing, but when you actually look at what's happening, it's a it's a quite a different story. 
And as you rightly point out, you know, it is still big tech that's that's driving for. I mean, I, I think AMD was up like eighteen percent over the week because they were, you know, pushing out new uh, new chiplet. Uh, patents and, and new CPU and GPU designs and it's like well all of a sudden you know the market suggests you know pockets are looking at recession but then all of a sudden these big tech is you know 200 300 four 500 billion dollar companies are up you know 10 20 30 percent over you know the last couple of weeks and and that does seem to be it seems to be shouldering a lot of the market in terms of making it look better than perhaps it actually is but if the rate cuts come, uh, do you think, I mean, and I've seen this in the last, probably the last month, it seems to be a loosening of, of capital again, that capital wants, wants to find its way into growth uh, areas of investment. And in the AI space in particular, you know, Elon Musk is, is pretty much locked down another billion dollars uh, to raise for the XAI uh, project that he's working on, which is which is X.com's uh, AI project. Um, what was the, the other one? And I think it was Anthropic uh, raised a whole bunch more money. Um, Mistral raised a whole bunch of money, giving them like a two, I think was, they raised about 400 million, giving them like a $2 billion valuation. So there's money that's starting to flow into these really high growth areas again. If the Fed cuts, and I, I kind of say this because when the when the Fed does something, the Bank of England tends to just react, but just a little bit later. Um, so if rate cuts come in the US, and then we would expect that probably come in the UK as well. Do you think this is going to fuel? If this if this is all coming in twenty four, is this going to fuel the markets? Are we are we looking at a twenty twenty four kind of melt up, so to speak, or will it be a little bit more subdued because of? to say what what's sort of really happening in in sort of the non-tech sector. Well, I think a melt up is probably what economic officials would like to see. That is they'd like to see some sort of soft landing goldilocks next year. That's what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, and as you rightly point out, uh let's face it, right? When it comes to big tech or anything else that has the zeitgeist behind it, uh, there is liquidity out there. What, what I mentioned earlier about money and credit growth being outright negative over the past 18 months or so, yes, that's true. But there was so much excess money and credit sloshing around that we've only begun to mop it up with the sponge, right? And, and, and so you've, you've still got a lot of it that, that is looking for a home. And the moment uh, people see that the rate outlook longer term uh, is improving because of the great monetary pivot, uh, as per the Bloomberg headline, then there is a rush. There is a rush to get reinvested ASAP and take advantage of that. And the big big tech benefits from that for two reasons. First of all, their valuations are largely so-called intangibles, which tend to be based on very long-term growth assumptions. And the compound effects of interest rate discounting, you know, run the numbers, run the maths, you, you, you can just see it in the spreadsheet. Other factors equal intangibles benefit disproportionately from uh, a changing interest rate outlook in this way. Uh, but the second reason is, and this is what we forget, is that the performance of tech as a sector, and this goes back decades, the performance of tech as a sector is surprisingly cyclical. 
Yes, it may be on a long-term secular growth trend. I don't deny that. But there's a lot of cyclical noise around that secular growth trend. And if you step back and look at some longer-term charts, you'll see exactly what I mean. And so tech really can get whacked if the broader economy does surprisingly poorly. And so this is my personal opinion. You may not share it, but I think big tech is entering 2024 with a lot of risk around it. Uh, in fact, my most recent article was titled Big Tech, Big Expensive. It just looks so expensive vis-a-vis -vis the broader market. And indeed, big tech looks expensive versus small tech. So if you want to be in tech, I'd be a bit more selective. I mean, that, that's my view. And again, you may not share that. No, I mean, uh, surprisingly, I think that big tech, it does, it does look stupidly expensive. <laughs> um, and, 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 and I wonder that, you know, uh, I was looking at the, the, the markets the other day and I, I was looking at Microsoft's market cap and Microsoft's market cap's like $2.7 trillion now. I was like, hang on a minute. Wasn't it, it, was, it felt like it was only yesterday they, they crossed the $1 trillion mark. And now all of a sudden they're close closer to three trillion dollars, and I was like, okay, I, I get Microsoft's you know Im important in in many aspects and cloud and, and and software and and they're certainly obviously pushing forward on the AI button, but geez, three trillion dollars, that that that's that's tough to get your head around. A trillion's the new billion, and I remember when billion used to be the new million, and I'm not that old. <laughs> That's inflation for you. <laughs> that is, and that's and that is inflation for you. But I, when I look at the likes of Microsoft and and, and Google and and Meta and Nvidia and these companies that have been really holding up um, the the market, um, I wonder what that what their picture looks like if the sort of the AI thing hadn't come about in the way that it has in the last twelve sort of eighteen months. If you'd remove that picture. How how do they look? And I, and I wonder if if they're anywhere near as attractive, um, based on sort of taking that out of the equation and just being overpriced. But but having said that, you're right that it's it's the small tech that now tends to get overlooked. Because if if you've got a mega cap that's doing two hundred percent in a year, it's pretty hard to look outside of of those kinds of uh, investments. But it is it's small. I think smaller tech is grossly undervalued compared to what big tech has been able to achieve. Well, and this is where th th this is where I so appreciate the work that you do because you know I, I I wear various hats and I look at various things and I have my own areas of expertise and we all naturally focus on those but you know, you, you you spend a lot of time uh looking at what you might call small tech. And I I really think that's where it's at now. I mean if you I mean don't get me wrong, I I tech in general you could argue fine is a bit overvalued and yet that argument becomes very, very difficult to make when you do drill down, and there are some fantastic stories out there. And it's these, it's these, it's these gemstones hidden between the big rocks of big tech uh, that we should be looking for, that investors should be looking for. And this is where, again, interest rates fine, they go up, they go down. Markets go down, they go up as a result of those changing expectations. But as an investor, you really have to try to get past that. That that's a game that big institutions are playing day in and day out, you really don't want to try to go head to head with them on that. You, you want to try to play your own game um, more, no, more cleverly and more subtly um, and just think uh, longer term and be patient. Find those, find those gems hiding between the rocks. 
um, that's the way forward next year. And indeed, one could argue that's always the best way to invest. Yeah, and I think it's you know it's certainly that combination of you know if you've got if you've got some great value plays in a portfolio that you know when you again if you look through the market you will find there is a plethora of companies that are you know financially sound got a strong dividend um, that can be somewhat defensive to some of these cycles and to things like rate cuts or or, or rate rises um, and still provide that kind of stability in your portfolio and then it's you know it's kind of you clip off some of that return or that income that you can get from some of these things and you make these smaller sort of asymmetrical plays into the more high growth stuff that 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 is is, is often overlooked or undervalued and i think that's when you can get the right mix and balance i think it doesn't really matter what the fed or the bank of england actually do exactly. you can kind of work your way around Things that are basically out of your control, more or less. Um, That's right. But anyway, having said that, we will have to wrap it up today. It's a, it's a short and sharp one from from John and I. Um, actually, while on the subject of AI, um, we've got actually a new briefing coming out uh, about the AI revolution, which you may be able to see. I think there's going to be a link to that at the bottom of this video today. So click on that. Check it out. Um, as you may have seen me discuss with Nick a few weeks ago, uh, the the AI revolution is well and truly upon us. As I was saying to John before, capital is 100% flowing into this at a rate of knots. I mean, if Elon can raise a billion at the click of his fingers, um, you know, there's a lot of money waiting on the sidelines looking for an opportunity like AI. So um, I've got a new briefing coming out. Make sure you click on the link around this video and check that out. But I want to thank you, John, for jumping in. With me, the uh, substitute Hubble-Farage combination for this week in review. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Um, I probably won't be back with you next week, but it'll be back to Nick and Nigel, I'm pretty sure. Um, so thanks for watching and bye for now. Well, thank you for watching. and I hope you agree it's never been more important to take control of your own money, your own financial situation. We do a daily free email, a fortune and freedom daily email with lots of knowledge, lots of insight. It's a very useful way of protecting yourself for the future. So please click the link in the description or go to fortuneandfreedom.com and get my daily email.